Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, July 30th, 2021. It was on this day in 1975 that Teamster leader James Jimmy Hoffa disappeared, presumably murdered, but to this day his body has never been found. It was also on this day in 1864 that an event occurred called the Disaster at the Crater during the Siege of Petersburg, Virginia. The long showdown between Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant in the Civil War here in the United States. The crater was created by a mine that was brought about by digging a tunnel underneath the Confederate lines. Union troops packed the tunnel and the subsequent chamber with explosives and set the fuse, creating a massive explosion and a huge crater right in the middle of the Confederate lines defending Petersburg, Virginia. It, of course, is called the disaster at the crater because it was exactly that, a disaster. The bomb went off, as it was supposed to, but there was no real comprehensive plan on what the troops of the Union Army would do once the explosives went off. The goal would be to storm the Confederate lines, break through them, and get into the city of Petersburg. But disorganization resulted in a failure, which is why it is known to this day as the disaster at the crater. And to this day, you can visit the siege lines outside of Petersburg, Virginia, which is, of course, a national park commemorating the nine-month siege of Petersburg. And you can see the crater still there and the tunnel in which the explosives were packed the siege of Petersburg would go on for quite a long while afterwards. This occurred on this day in July 1864. The siege would not end until April 1865. On this particular day, I want to talk about what at least Catholics are going to hear in the gospel readings over the next few weeks when they attend Sunday Mass. And it's especially important considering that we have started returning to the celebration of the Mass following the COVID lockdowns. And it will be an re important reflection on the Eucharist as starting last Sunday with the story of the miracle of the loaves and fishes in the sixth chapter of John, we will for the next four Sundays be hearing excerpts from the sixth chapter of John, which is the Eucharistic chapter in John's Gospel. There is no Last Supper in John's Gospel. If you read the Gospel of John. There is no scene the night before Jesus dies in which he breaks bread, distributes it, and says, this is my body, takes the cup, and says, this is my blood. There's the washing of the feet, and there is the final discourse. And many times we combine the two events. There's the washing of the feet, and then there's the breaking of bread. But there is not a Gospel that brings the two of them together, and the Gospel of John is the only Gospel that has the washing of the feet and the final discourse of Jesus but does not have a Last Supper in which, at the Passover, Jesus presents the Eucharist. Rather, in the sixth chapter of John, we have the Eucharistic theology that Jesus presents when he says, I am the bread of life. 
But it begins with the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, which we read last Sunday. Following the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, which is not included in the Sunday readings, the people follow Jesus to basically see the trick again. They want to see the loaves multiplied again, and Jesus uses that as a springboard for his teaching on the bread that will give eternal life. And for the next four weeks, we will see that progression of that teaching and how the people respond to it, and how Jesus responds to the people's response. First, he kind of ups the ante a little bit when he says, you're here to see the miracle of the loaves and the fishes again. But that is a bread that will eventually leave you hungry again. And while you will eat, eventually you will still die. But Jesus then goes on to say, the bread that I will give is bread that will last for eternal life. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And whoever eats this bread, I will raise them on the last day. And if you do not eat this bread and drink this cup, you will not possess eternal life. So what Jesus does is takes the loaves and the fishes and then takes it to the next level. Food that will perish and food for eternal life. And when the people begin to question him, Jesus doesn't back down. Rather, he intensifies the teaching. And he reaps the rewards of that, in that the people respond with even greater hostility. Jesus obviously was not out to make friends and to please a crowd. He was there to give us the truth. Until finally, the net result of the teaching at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 6, the people respond by basically abandoning Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000 people, and in the end he was left with 12. So that means he lost 4,988 disciples who, at the beginning of chapter 6, were his disciples, were interested in what he was teaching, were following him. And by the end of it, many of them abandoned him and returned to their former way of life. So how does Jesus respond to that? He doesn't say, oh, wait, no, no, come back, come back. Let me change that teaching so that you won't leave. Maybe that teaching is too hard or too old-fashioned. No, he turns to the remaining 12 and says, why don't you leave too? Or to quote the scriptures, are you going to leave me too? We tend to read it with a sense of sadness in Jesus' voice, like, look at all these people who are leaving. Are you going to leave poor little me too? I like to read it in a tone of Jesus being somewhat aggravated. So, are you guys going to leave me too? And we have the response that Peter gives. And so in the next few weeks, we will be hearing the various stages of this teaching, of this chapter. And it's a good time for us to reflect upon the Eucharist that we were locked out of for so long during this pandemic. And many places are now getting back to that. Some dioceses have been back to celebrating that in person for a while now. But not only that, we are hearing a basic teaching of the church on the central sacrament that we celebrate as a people of faith. And in the midst of that teaching, which perhaps we take for granted, we hear the people's response, which is they object to that teaching. They object to the truth of the teaching that Jesus is giving them. 
And we also see Jesus responding to those objections. And he doesn't back down. He intensifies. And ultimately, the people have to make a choice. They are either going to embrace the truth, or they're going to walk away. And Jesus is not going to beg them to stay. We could perhaps apply that to many other aspects of church teaching. Many teachings of the church, especially with regard to morality, especially with regard to human sexuality, love, marriage, the whole question of life, in which many people find great objection to the church's teaching. And the response of some leaders of the church is that we should back down and modernize. But if we follow the example of Jesus, whatever that teaching is, that people object to, and we know there are a number of them. If we follow the example of Jesus, the church should not back down. The church should intensify those teachings, accentuate those teachings, so that those who object are given an undeniable choice, an undeniable and unavoidable choice. They will either embrace the truth, or they will turn their backs and abandon Jesus and the church. And the church, when people leave over the teaching on birth control or abortion or marriage as a lifelong union between a man and a woman, the church should not beg people to stay. Nor should it be a mark of of shame when people say, look how many Catholics are leaving the church over this teaching. The church should not be ashamed of that. Because look how many people abandon Jesus over this teaching that we as Catholics take for granted. 4,988 abandoned him, leaving only 12. And those 12 became the 12 because they were the only 12 left. And so as we hear these readings from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, let's note how the people respond and how Jesus responds to their response. And is there any teaching that we notice, Catholics and perhaps secular society in general, deeply object to and deny the church's authority in giving the truth that Jesus gave us in the gospel and insist that the church should change those teachings according to popular opinion, as if the gospel were somehow a democracy? A couple of months ago, Pope Francis and the Vatican reiterated the church's position that it cannot bless, let alone sacramentalize, same-sex unions. And we saw how some, not even who were Catholic, objecting to the church's teaching, to which, in the podcast I presented, pretty much said, so what? A, they're not Catholic. Why do they care what the church teaches? B, if the church were to change the teaching, it wouldn't move them to become Catholic. And C, I'm glad they find it objectionable because it means the Catholic teaching still has an impact even on people who aren't Catholic. And because of church teaching, many people turn their back on the church. They call themselves Christian, but they turn their back on the church. They turn their back on Christianity if they're going to object to certain key and essential values of Christianity. But the church should not beg people to stay. The church should not change its teachings to make it more popular. 
We don't get to heaven by making Christ give in to our demands. We don't get to heaven by insisting on the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, change its teachings according to popular opinion. We get to heaven by embracing the gospel in its totality, even the teachings we find difficult and objectionable. We embrace the truth, and like Peter, we say, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this is a rather brief podcast this week, and just my thoughts over the next few weeks for those of you who are returning to Mass, enjoying the great return to the Sunday Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist again every Sunday, if not every day, pondering this great gift as we hear it taught in the Gospel readings, but also pondering our position as members of this church, as members of the flock that is the church, as members of those followers of Jesus, how do we respond? Are we those who insist the church change, or we are going to turn our backs on the church, or are we those who embrace church teaching? I won't be with you for the next few weeks. I'll be heading out on vacation. Looking forward to it, I'll be visiting a few historical sites here in the United States, and I'll hopefully tell you about them when I get back. I'll be back at the beginning of September. I thank you for your attention over these last 22 podcasts, or 23, I think is today's. Visit my website and my YouTube page. Hopefully you find a value what I offer there. But I thank you for joining me, and with any luck, in a few weeks, I will talk to you again. Thank you.